0: Welcome to the Wellness for Educators podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Kennedy. Hi, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Wellness for Educators podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Kennedy, and I am grateful to be here again with Alejandra Ramos Gomez. And today we're talking in her second podcast in this four podcast series. The reason behind why you chose to include a chapter focused on the identity of a woman and your experience as a woman. I would love for you to talk more about why you, why you chose to include that. Of course. Thank you
1: so much for, for having me again. I'm, I'm very uh, excited to be here and share more about the book and, and why I wrote it. And I think when I think about why I decided to write more about what it means to be a woman, I think of my grandma, for sure. My, uh, I come from a very matriarchal family. You know, my, my grandpa passed away when my mom was little. So it was always my grandma. Then my mom uh, come from a divorced family. So always my mom being the center of, of the home. And for me, uh, growing up being a woman, I never thought that I couldn't do things. Um, it wasn't until I was older that I realized that a lot of things in the system were in, in a way against me uh, and against, you know, being a woman and, and being a young girl and, and especially where, where I grew up. Um, so for for that reason, I wanted to write more about our experiences as women. Also, you know, with, with all of um, systemic issues that happen and how to express this in a way that. It is healing and also bringing awareness to these issues.
0: Yeah, I love um, that you're focusing on woman and the the um, feminine experience, as well as just kind of bringing light to to the issues that you faced, but then also as a collective we all face as as women. Um, I would love for you to share um, perhaps um, one or two of the offerings that you have within the the book. And I'll let you um, go ahead and and share those.
1: Of course, this this first poem, um, it's kind of a a spoken word piece. And this one talks about femicides and about women being taken away by, by gender violence. And I wrote it specifically after Vanessa Guillen uh, passed away, and just an offering to her and to all of those women whose lives were lost by gender violence. So this is Mujeres Olvidadas. Alma Chavira Farelli, thirteen years old, murdered in 1992. Daisy Jasmine Garcia Hernandez, fifteen years old, murdered in 2017. Guadalupe Brenda Vizcarra, 26 years old, murdered in 2019. Susi Salais, 25 years old, murdered in 2020. These are the names of four women murdered in the state of Chihuahua, Mexico. There have been close to 2,000 women murdered in the past 25 years in my hometown. Vanessa Guillen, 20 years old, murdered in 2020. I left my country to run away from violence, but our nightmare does not end at the border. Mujeres olvidadas, 2 a.m. and in between dreams, I hear my mother calling my sister in despair. A knot in my stomach invades me with doubt whether my sister is safe or not, whether my sister is alive or not. That was my reality for a long time. I grew up thinking that as a woman, being murdered was a possibility and that it was my duty to avoid it. Missing young women destroyed families, jóvenes desaparecidas, familias destruidas. ¿Cómo nos atrevimos a culparlas? How do we dare to blame them? Men and women giving excuses for emotional and sexual abuse. What have we become? Blaming women for calling attention to what they wear as if we could control your mind. We're in a desert of sexual education. We lack clarity. Otra mañana, otra mujer asesinada, another morning, another murder woman. Recuerdos de infancia, de violencia, impunidad, recuerdos de miedo y frustración, childhood memories of violence and impunity, memories of fear and frustration. Every morning I woke up to the news of a femicide. Standard features, brown skin, short high, dark hair, it could have been me. One more pink cross, it became the new normal for us. My value as a woman was reduced to the fear of being murdered. I felt that I had to leave. And now I am caught between wanting to be with my family or surviving because in our reality, women who speak up are considered a threat. Women are supposed to listen. Vanessa Guillén, Nunca Olvidaremos Tu Nombre. Una Mujer Más. Otra Que Se Nos Va De Las Manos. We Will Never Forget Your Name. Times have changed, but minds remain the same. It is more complicated than I thought. What have we become? Giving excuses for people committing abuse and justifying regaining actions by men who are supposed to be our leaders. Solo una de cada diez mujeres denuncia el abuso. No porque no queramos, sino porque sabemos que nadie nos escuchará. Only one in 10 women report the abuse, not because we don't want to, but because we know if we do, most of the time, no one would truly listen. Intersectionality is our enemy. They fear to talk about safe sex and menstruation, but they're not afraid to touch us. And how does this end? I'm still searching for the solution. Today, my weapons are my mind and my voice. My most powerful weapon has become to turn the word me into us, my voice into our voice. Alma, Daisy, Jasmine, Guadalupe, Susie, Vanessa Guillén, our voice.
0: Whew, that is, um, that's a lot, that's... um, I'm, I am sorry that this was your experience in, in, you know, where you grew up. I know we talked a little bit about this in the first episode and, and, and to your point, um, we talked a little bit before we started uh, the recording today in terms of action. and And I, I appreciated what you said at the end in terms of you know, what What do I have that I can use um, for that action? And, and you talk about your voice and it being the voice of those who have passed, who have been victims of this situation. And I also think you're including, that you're still searching for the solution. And I wonder too, with the we, are, are there resources um, that you know of now? Maybe maybe not when you were growing up, but are there resources now? Are there organizations now that are really focusing on the femicide and and what's happening there?
1: You know, there they are. And I think growing up, I was always very aware of people knowing about it, because I, I know my city was always very famous for it. But For me, my experience growing up with resources and and like support was in a way, I would think even like glamorized. Like, I feel like when when people would go and support um, many times, it was because of um, like there was a march and there would be some photos or there would be. uh, So for me, you know, my experience growing up there, it always felt very political or just very. Uh, to put up, you know, a facade or, or a show. Um, now there are there there um, some feminist coalitions in Mexico and in Latin America. We have this movement that we call Ni Una Más, which means like no like no more. Um, we also have Ni Una Menos, like no uh, no like some like someone less uh, like no more disappearing. And there's a very strong community with that of Latin American women who are who are fighting for this, you know, who there are lawyers, there are therapists, there, and then they come together. Um, but there's not a lot of support for them as well. Um, many times the support goes to other organizations that are not so much in the field. Uh, and in my opinion, I think there should be more support for the women who who are leading that movement, and that many times they don't have the resources or maybe they' they're not that well known. Um, but, but they are doing the work. So there are those those women, there's also several creative groups, you know, art groups that do poetry that do spoken word that do uh, movement. Uh, but at the same time, I can talk mostly from you know, my experience in Mexico, also my experience in Argentina. And for me, I think that there's still a lot of machismo And there's still a lot of that culture. So many times for us, you know, who maybe who identify as feminists or who we say that we're feminists, I know there's a lot of still very like stigma around it or thinking that we are too much or that we are exaggerating or that we want to fight instead of joining. Because for me, it should be for everyone, right? Because um, machismo and patriarchal systems affect boys as well boys girls all of us um so i think there there's still not that switch on on seeing how it affects all of us and there's more of a perspective of these women are exaggerating and they are trying to be loud and you know and there's also a big uh controversy back home in mexico of how is the right way to protest Right. Uh, women have have gone and, and maybe uh, painted or done things in monuments that are in Mexico City. And there's been a huge controversy around it with people saying, well, they don't have to be aggressive or they don't have to do this way. They can just be nice. They can be polite. They can. But we've been doing this for years and, and people have been asking in a nice way and nothing has been done. Um, So I think for all, for many of us, it's, it's a breaking point, right? We, there needs to be some change. And I always think I don't, I don't have children, but I think of my, of my niece. And I always think of the world where, that I want her to live in. And and it's definitely not, not the world where I, you know, I grew up. So we, we want some change.
0: Is there also any kind of generational differences too, in the way that, that it is approached that, you know that you're using your voice, but maybe there might be a different way of doing it based on where you are in your generation.
1: Oh, yes, 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 I th- that's a great question. i um I was actually having a conversation with my mom this morning about how we never learned to say no. and and now and I have that conversation with my mom, and she was telling me, yeah, my my mom never told me how to say no. My mom didn't teach me how to say no. But now we're teaching my niece. Right. So even those little things um, that in the past, we wouldn't even question because we were always taught to listen, to say yes, to always, you know. Um, also, this is a very, you know, I come from from a Mexican culture where it's very much about serving the man and. And even growing up, I remember my grandma cooking and always eat, eating at the end or eating after everyone else was done and serving my dad. And my dad is this very, you know, open-minded, I would say, person, but still all those little things are so ingrained in us. Um, that I know now with my dad, I do have conversations about even inclusive language, right? Little things like that that um now my parents are more open to talk about it, but I know there's still that that. Um, certain things that that for them, like it's the idea of of man, of a man taking care of a woman, or, you know, we're, we're always more of a, this vulnerable state. Um, so in my sense, I think with my family is, is great, because they've been really open. And I talk a lot about <laughs> this. But it, I, I've seen it in a lot of families, of course, it's it is what also what we grew up seeing on TV on shows, what, what is expected, from us. Another thing about Mexican culture is that it is not very common to leave home until you are married. Um, so it's also that thing of you are able to be independent when there's someone taking care of you. So going from one to the other. Um, and But there's been change right now. It's more common for for girls and for women to have their own space and have their own lives before they they go into that. But But yeah, I, I, yes, I think that is, there's definitely a a big generational change there. Um, But I see more people being open to it. I really trust future generations who don't even think about this anymore, who just see it as normal and, you know, as women being able to do everything that men do. Um, But I didn't, I didn't grow up in that space. So that's why. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Another piece of this, this one here that I noticed too, is, is there, is there a struggle um, within you being where you are now in the United States and what's happening at home? Kind of like that space of you want to do something. I mean, I think it's easier, it's easy to do something obviously now with like social media and that kind of thing and and ways to express ourselves that are more global in nature but I wonder too is there also like a struggle internally like do you want to physically be there or is it okay for you to be where you are and still be advocating for for change and things like that like how how does that feel internally what's that experience like?
1: Well, that's another great question, because I think about this a lot. Um, I feel guilt. Honestly, I feel guilt at times um, because these topics that I talk about and that I publish freely, I don't think I would publish them if I was back home. Maybe I would think a lot about them because I wouldn't feel safe to talk about these issues. And I think I I have a line there that says, you know, that we are not where I'm from or, or, you know, and um in my experience we are not supposed to like speak up we're supposed to listen um so i feel guilt in a way that i have the privilege that to be able to talk about it from a a safe place and you know and yeah being protected also having that that free speech um so that way i feel that but Lately, I've been feeling more that my my story also matters, you know, and if I it's it's kind of what we were talking earlier about that action piece. Yes, I, I do feel guilt because when I go back home, you know, I sometimes I feel like I'm talking about things that maybe I'm not living anymore. Um, but then I always go back to well, but I did. I did experience that throughout my whole life, basically my whole childhood and, and teenage years and early adult. So. If I'm if I have the opportunity to speak about it, then what, why not, right? And and if it's not me, then who? Or if it's not us, um, but I do try to every time I go back home, or I still work with several organizations back home, and I try to go and talk to people when I can or present uh, the book. I know I had a, a conversation with like a high, some high school students and the girls, so that that is my way to still connect. My dream, of course, would be to do more things, you know, back home. And and that's the beauty also of virtual world to to have more conversations with them, because I know there's a lot of girls who are in this fight, but maybe don't don't have the outlets or maybe don't even know where to look for those outlets. So it's, yes, a little bit of, you know, the guilt, but also accepting that it is okay for me to speak up even though I'm here. Um, as long as the mission is correct, or maybe the purpose why I'm writing it. So always going back to the purpose and always making sure that I'm writing for them and not
0: so much for, for me. Yeah, I think I, I hear that, you know, from, from both this and and from our previous conversation too, I think that idea of we and like that shared experience um, is apparent in the way that you've written, but it's also in the way that you talk about your experience. And I think that there's, you know, obviously it's it's um, a violent, you know, experience that you're speaking of, um, it, but it's a shared experience that you've had with others. And I think that shared experience and knowing that you're not alone and having experienced that, and those who are still in the experience, um, are are able to identify with you, and also um, see how you are able to um, heal in the and and are in that process of healing and are able to use your voice as we talk about in trauma healing. You know, it's it's that taking back your power. It's that having a voice, having a choice. Um, and feeling like you're safe to share your story and to embody that story and know that you are now safe, you know, and also giving them hope and showing them that there is, you know, there is a a, a light where they can be safe as well. And so I think, um, I think that that that's a beautiful piece of it, is that, you can identify, like they can identify and, and I know we talked about last time it's like when you were talking to the students and they were able to say like I, you know, I can see myself as being you and being able to share my voice through through this artwork um, that you create.
1: Yes, and and I um, there's even a poem in the book. I, I don't remember which one specifically, but there's a poem where I talk about, of like the transition of writing of how when i because i i used to write about these topics specifically femicides ever since i was like a young girl that that was the the first spoken word piece that i that i did and wrote was about that um but i think that when i was at that age it came from a lot of anger and, you know, and just that feeling of no one is listening and, and why is this happening? And no one is, you know, saying anything about about this. Um, and and I think now, first of all, I've, I've noticed that the trauma and, and all those things that happened, seeing that growing up didn't affect me until later. And, and more than anything, when I moved to this country, I think maybe because I was more aware of the big difference of even you know going to the grocery store and then walking to my car alone and not having to be scared of having my phone and hiding things and and looking everywhere those little things really impacted me but now i would say that my writing it, it does come from a place of love but i think it, it comes more of a place uh of action rather than anger and more of of finding solutions and like collective solutions and the anger that I used to come from. So when I even when I read it, I think like, like, even my feelings, I, I cry many times when I write that when I read that piece that I that I read, but because I'm, I'm connecting with them, but it doesn't come from that place of, of anger of, you know, the system, and this is not working, because I know that many times, just staying in that place was not good for me. You know for my wellness for my mental health it just wasn't good and also for my creativity so trying to you know i think when when art comes from that place of joy and and openness it's it just feels much more authentic and yeah and, and it connects better with with me and others
0: thank you for sharing that um do you have time for one more um share Okay, perfect. Um, go ahead and, and choose one, and I'll follow along. If you can tell me the page number, I actually was able to find <laughs> the last one without having the page number.
1: Sure. Um, so for this one, is it okay, like one in Spanish or in English?
0: Or I'm, I'm fine with whichever whichever one you'd like.
1: Wonderful. Well, I'm th- the one that I'm gonna read is called Nacheli. It's page twenty five. Um, and this one talks about about my name and my indigenous roots and i i will talk more about it naturally duré la mayor parte de mi vida avergonzándome de mi nombre acortando su significado para encajar en espacios que no aceptaban mi piel y apariencia mi nombre indígena significa te amo sin embargo duré toda una vida sin amarme a mí misma disfrazando mi inseguridad de ropa de marca y viajes constantes disfrazando mis miedos de amores fallidos y amistades superficiales. Nacheli significa te amo, hoy me amo tal y como soy, morena, sencilla, emocional, explosiva, Nacheli. And uh, Nacheli is my name. I don't know if I've I've shared this before. Uh, Nacheli is my other name. It's uh, my family, my dad's family. We come from uh, Zapotec. Community. It's an indigenous community in the south of Mexico in Oaxaca, and that is my indigenous name and means I love you. And so everyone back home calls me Nacheli and Nash. All of my friends call me Nash. Uh, but I wrote that that poem and I and I included in that in that part because when I moved to the U.S., I thought it was too hard for people to understand the name to say it. I always thought, well, how am I going to present it and tell them? Uh, It's such a long story. And I just went for Alejandra. And for me, I think in that moment, I didn't realize how impactful it was of me kind of changing who I was, and you know, trying to fit in, and ignoring that part of me, which my indigenous roots are so important to me. Uh, But in that moment, I didn't see it like that, because I was just trying to fit in. So now, you know, seven years after being here and, you know, and, and in a different stage of my life, I realized that is so important. My name is like part of who I am, my roots, right? Being an indigenous woman, it's also a very complete different experience than being, you know, um, maybe a woman that comes more from from Spanier roots back in Mexico. Um, so now it's me trying to. like recover that part of me and and i do share my name now i do say nacheli and nash and i actually have some some groups here in the us that call me nacheli now and it just it just feels right because it's it's who i am right and in indigenous uh, women in mexico that's that's a a very long, long difficult topic um but you know besides women always having these problems with the system indigenous women have it you know even more difficult uh when with stigma with language with the the clothes we wear so it was important for me to bring also that aspect of yes i'm a woman but i also have this experience of of coming from an indigenous community that has been for such a long time um discriminated and pushed to the side and when i see it i see it in you know movies or i see it in people buying very expensive clothes but um, I'm still lacking that part of uh, I wish people would try to get to know the culture better, try to get to know the women who even, you know, women weave a lot. And for them, weaving is even a process of connecting with Mother Earth and and, like, and being interconnected. Um, and I, yeah, I just this poem was a little bit like thought provoking and, and trying to bring those topics as well and what it means to be a woman and also an indigenous woman.
0: Okay. That is a lot <laughs> to, uh, I had no idea. Um, and I'm so glad that you shared this one with me. Um, so you in in, um, the assimilation piece coming, you know, first off, you know, coming to the United States one and then having to, or, or feeling like you had to change your name to make it easier for people to know you like that um and, and to give up that part of your identity i can't imagine um what that was i'm so sorry that you felt like you needed to do that um just because this uh, i'm you know this really moved me um and i feel like um it's it's part of you. And so it's it's hard for me to hear that experience. So I apologize that you had to feel like you had to do that. And in the indigenous part of this, that adds obviously, you know, based on like the history of how indigenous populations were treated here in the United States and continue to be treated um, here in the United States how does that affect like as you're thinking about and and actually, you know, using that name and and, and, um, bringing that back, that part of yourself back into your life, you know, with everything going on right now and with um, indigenous populations. um, And I mean, we just, you know, indigenous people's day was earlier last week. Um you know i I feel like there's probably things that you're actively thinking about all of the time um as you're thinking about re, re and re, bringing that back or reclaiming that part of you that you you felt like you needed to give up so i would I would love to hear your your thoughts on that. Yes, of course. um
1: well, thinking first of the positive, I felt you know uh, when I think about what you know just my background breaks into my life um my community and like my grandma for example my grandma was um oh i forgot the, the word in english um midwife uh, a midwife and a healer uh my my dad is a doctor come from like some family of doctors not not me uh, but um they you know my my grandma was midwife and healing their spirituality is a, a lot around cosmovision, what we call, so a lot on the moon and the stars and, and, you know, and the sun and our connection to mother earth. And for me, I didn't know about my indigenous background until I was maybe like 14. That's a very longer story, very sub opera story. But um, when I found that out for me, it felt right. Like I felt, I felt connected. And also the first time that I went to Oaxaca, it was the first time where I felt like I fit in completely um, because the North of Mexico is very different. So for me, that's definitely a positive. Like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm very much connected to the moon and um, you know, and I have, and I have my things, my, uh, my mantras, or I think it helps me a lot in my, in my wellness and then my spirituality just being connected to mother earth. It's always a big part of of who I am. Um, And the, on the other side, I tried. I think for me, especially in the last few years, it's been kind of a, a a struggle with balancing people appreciating the culture and then the cultural appropriation of things. So for me, for example, what what I'm wearing, people cannot see, but I'm wearing I'm wearing you know a traditional um, like embroider, embroidery embroidery uh, type of we call them wepeles or It depends on where you're from. Uh, but for us, for me, you know, these are these are clothing that my mom has bought for me ever since I was little. Like I have so many because ever since I was growing up, my mom would buy them. But growing up, I was always ashamed of wearing them because they were seen as less or they were seen as, you know, of low socioeconomic. And people would not treat you in a good way if you were dressed that way. So then, when I move here and I start wearing them, and I, and then I start seeing things that maybe I buy in fifty dollars back home, and the you know, and it's a good, good pay, and then I see them here in four hundred dollars, the same type of clothing, and I and I'm and I'm almost like ninety percent sure that the people who sold them back home are not getting that amount of money. So it's always that feeling for me of, of course, I want people to wear them, you know, they're beautiful and I, and I want people to appreciate our clothing and our, and the weaving and understand, you know, and and the hard work that takes because it's hours and hours of someone. That's why I wear them with so much pride because for me, it's like wearing a piece of art, right? Something that someone made uh, and took the time to create. So when I see them sometimes in spaces where they're not respected, I always have this feeling of. I do want people to be exposed to it, but I wish there was more education around it, and there was more of uh, you know like sustainable and and inclusive um, like trade or, or or business around it. Um, so that's why I have all those feelings. But it's also very important for me to to wear these things, um, also when I'm in spaces where I know people mostly don't know about my culture. It's just a way, I guess, to be connected and to represent and when it comes to indigenous you know communities and, and women um for me like even as an educator was a lot about exposing the students um about the languages about the stories there's so many materials now and because many people don't know for example that in mexico there's over 30 indigenous languages and that we don't understand each other right and so even that i think like bringing awareness educating people is such a a big part of it um but yes you know us it, everything i think it's like a mixture of of good and bad and trying to find a balance that feels right to me as well
0: i love that you started with the with the positive pieces in terms of like the the mantra that you have and your connection to the moon which i love um you know the the feminine side the the calming side um uh, you know thinking about the connection to like Yogic theory um, that that that's typically um, where that comes. And does that also align with with your heritage and and in that theory of the indigenous population?
1: I am not one hundred percent sure of like the direct like connection, but but I do know, uh, for example, with my experience of, of friends that I have that from Peru, right, that they're like Quechua. Um, there's a lot of similarities with that. I think, with just with like, yeah, with like cosmovision, we call it, um, and just that that understanding that we are all connected and that you know that yeah we're we're all energy connected to one another and and especially the moon, right? As uh, talking about the 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 theme, right? Women, uh, mm-hmm. even our cycles, right? They're all connected to the moon, so understanding that better. Um, but I, I've noticed a lot of, I'm not that, you know, aware of of that, of that other theory, but I know in like the Latin American, there's definitely a lot, a lot of, of similarities. I would say, yes, like so many things in common when it comes to how we perceive uh, our planet and how to take care of it and, and, you know, and just our connection to, to our mother earth.
0: I, I love too, the, the idea of how it, also is aligned with like community and kind of like that support, uh, circle type of, you know, situation where, you know, we're, we're all connected and we're all, um, you know, supporting one another. And I think to your point for, for when you, when you came to the United States, did you still have connection? I know know you had like the connection to your family, obviously, but, to that side like what parts were you able to kind of hold on to once you knew um and once you came over like were there parts that you kept uh, holding on to even though you did change your name
1: yes that's a it's a difficult uh thing question because i was holding on to several things like you know my spirituality and like my clothing but i was also dealing with so much resistance to assimilation so in a way i think i i got lost a little bit in the first few years whether uh, trying to to see what what i was holding on because because it was good for me you know and, and it was connecting to to my soul or, or my heart um in and, and the things that i was not letting go because of that feeling of not wanting to assimilate um so yes but definitely yes like uh, my clothing my uh you know my, my spirituality and also my um like music i connect a lot through to my roots through through music there's very and i, I will share um uh, but there's beautiful music also in in that language in Zapotec. so for me it's just uh yeah good way to it's it's that type of music that sometimes I, I read poems over that music. And yes, it just it just connects so differently. Um, even I guess, because you know, instruments in, in so many indigenous communities, instruments were made, you know, inspired by the planet by Mother Earth by everything that surrounds us. So I guess in a way, even the music is that connection that keeps me those sounds, those birds and that keeps me grounded.
0: And, and what about the, because I know that you have an affinity to dancing as well, was that part of, of your Indigenous um, culture, or was that something that you picked up along the way, or wh- where, where did that love come from for dance?
1: Yes. So I, I started dancing with, you know, ballet, the typical ballet, jazz, hip hop, uh, very structured, very rule oriented uh, when I started dancing. And then so that one, you know, I was just dancing more of that, that type. Um, and then when I was 15, I had a knee injury and I had to stop dancing um ballet and those and i it was the first time that i experienced depression everything now that i look back at it it was the first time because i always loved dancing and it was the way i i were i felt the most me right and and where i felt free and not having that also that i always had the dream of being a professional dancer so so giving up that dream was very hard but when i was 15 i found latin rhythms and they're they're kind of different to where i'm from but I loved salsa and cumbia and merengue, and I taught uh, Latin rhythms before I was a t- teacher, that I was a dance teacher back in Mexico. That was my first like job. Um, but then I moved to the US and I kind of stopped dancing. And but I always had like that feeling like I wanted that movement. But I wanted movement that was free. Without so many rules, I noticed that, you know, and that, that we can always talk more when, when we talk about the mental health part of it. But for me, ballet and all of those dance, dance, like type of dancing, they were great, but they were so rule oriented that it didn't, it brought more stress to my life many times than happiness. So when I moved here, I was really trying to find a way to to move in an authentic and and just feel and that's where I found dance therapy. And, and now, you know, I've been leading some classes of dance therapy and I, and I usually play very, you know, traditional indigenous uh, flute, uh, you know, music and yeah, it it just feels right. It's just an authentic, mindful movement. So I think I've I've found like a good combination of both. Like I'm still dancing, which I love, but I'm dancing in a free mindful way that allows me to, of like balanced my spirituality with the movement.
0: I love that, um, that, that you found that space for self-reflection or self-expression with your dance. And especially, I mean, I know it's, it's hard to kind of give up, um, when you have like the, the dream of like being a dancer, the professional dancer, and then having to shift, um, so I'm I'm sorry that you had to experience that, but it sounds like you were able to come back to it as well um later on and um be able to find that joy in it um and healing process in it as well. So um, well, I think we are gonna wrap up this episode and we'll look forward to having you back on to talk um uh, more about uh, mental health. And I believe the other theme is yes immigration immigration so yeah so we're we're excited to have you back again um a couple more times to talk about the other two themes that come up in your book
1: thank you and i would love to share some fi- a final remark that it just came to my mind with dance therapy um you know directly connected to to the theme um something i don't talk a lot about i know it's in the book somewhere you know eating disorders were were something that that was present in my life um You know, and I know also with women, um, we live with a lot of expectations of how we should look like or how our body should look and what's the right body, the wrong body. And so for me, even dancing is that is appreciating and loving my body in a way that I I never did or learned how to. Um, And so, yeah, so that's why movement and poetry also for me, for, you know, when when it comes to being a woman, it's about loving myself which is a very difficult thing to do. <laughs> so when, when you know, when you grow up in a space where, where that is not a priority. So yeah, finding that and redefining those things through movement and through poetry. I,
0: I, I want to follow back up on something that you mentioned before too, that kind of aligns to what you're talking about. I think there's a lot with, um, with things like, um, Eating disorders and um, the way that we um, that we are finding a way to control something, you know, that when our our when we feel like we're out of control, you know, and I think that um, to your point about the choice in what you chose to um, engage in dance wise and how it's such a free a freeing space and in a way like that freedom to be who you are as a woman and the freedom to allow yourself to love yourself as you are. Um, There's so much, uh, I guess, symbolism in that, that freeing nature and that open and um, that safety that you found within the healing space that you found within your dance and the fact that now you are a practitioner of therapy um, through dance and movement um, is, is beautiful. I, I love that journey um, and, and that part of your story. So thank you so much for sharing that.
1: No, yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for listening. You know, and, and like I mentioned before about the book, I also wrote that part thinking of all those girls, you know, who, who are going through those feelings and those thoughts and, you know, and feeling, like that's the only choice. And um, so by me sharing those experiences, I I want to bring light to those topics, which are so important, um, but also just sharing that, I guess in a way that they, that there's a way, right, to rewrite our story, uh, regardless of all those things that, that happened. And so, yes, thank you so much for listening.
0: My pleasure. And we're looking forward to having you back soon. Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for more episodes of Wellness for Educators podcast.